Lord or anything else. I invite your attention in your Bible to Genesis chapter 39. Just a minute. Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to ask the Lord to help us as we look into his word this morning. We always appeal to the Lord with our petition in the form of a melody. Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No Genesis 39, and in the interest of time, I'm just going to read a verse or two. Genesis chapter 39, this is our 25th study on the subject, the story of Joseph. Here's what we read in verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Joseph, as we've just read, is now in prison. Why is he in prison? Well, he is in prison because of the viciousness and the vengeful spite of a scorned woman who happens to be the wife of his master, Potiphar. Now, we don't know her name, but we do know something about her character. Some of you who read commentaries may have heard of the old English commentator, Matthew Henry. This is what Matthew Henry says about Potiphar's wife. He says, Joseph's master's wife, having tried in vain to make him a criminal, now endeavors to represent him as one, and so to be revenged on him for his virtue. Now was her love turned into the utmost rage and malice, and she pretends that she cannot endure the sight of him whom just a while ago she could not endure out of her sight. Chaste and holy love will continue even though it may be slighted, but sinful love is easily changed into sinful Hatred. Now, Potiphar's wife is a wicked woman, and she is typical of the wicked women in history. And as you can imagine, the Bible 
there's quite a bit to say about that, and we're going to have to look at some of this this morning. I've dealt with just about everything in this chapter in detail, but Potiphar's wife. So we're going to consider her this morning. Paul speaks about this sort of woman in his epistles. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, he calls them, in the King James vision, version, he calls them silly women, loaded down with sins, led away with all sorts of lust. Now, you may not know this, but the the King James Version really waters down <laughs> a lot of tough passages, and it does it in the interest of trying to keep things above board. But sometimes when we live in this world, we find out the things are not above board, they're below board. Or here's what the English Version says. The English Version, the more modern English Version, translated a good translation, but using the modern English, it says it this way. He describes them, 2 Timothy 3, 6, as weak women who are burdened by the guilt of their sins and driven by all kinds of desires. Now, in a word, Potiphar's wife is a woman with a foolish head and a filthy heart. That's what's wrong with her. She has a foolish head and she has a filthy heart. And Joseph is in prison because of her. We don't have to look at all these verses again, but verses 7 through 12 of Genesis chapter 39 tell us that he refused to have an affair with her. That she laid, cast her eyes upon him in verse 7 uh, and said, lie with me, but he refused, verse 8. And he said, no, I can't do this. You're my master's wife, and there's a God in heaven, and there's none greater in this house than I am. Verse 9, he's entrusted everything to me and given me everything but you. How can I do this great sin, this great wickedness and sin against God? But she persisted day by day, it says in verse 10. And, of course, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us. I gave you a little time element a few studies ago, but this was over a period of years. He was with Potiphar in Potiphar's house for at least 10 years, at least 10 years. We know he was 17 years old when he was sold to Potiphar. We know that he was 30 years old when he became the prime minister of Egypt, and we know he was in prison for two or three years. So you add all that up, He's just a, a youth here. Maybe, he, maybe he's 20 or 21. Uh, I don't know how old she is. But she persisted in this thing, and he continued to resist her. Well, as the old adage goes, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that saying? Well, that certainly applies to Mrs. Potiphar. And so the first thing she did, finally, Joseph, she made a big play for him, and he ran out of the house. This is verses 12 and 13. And then when he ran out of the house, this is what she did. The first thing she did was to ruin his reputation. In verses 13, 14, and 15, she accused him to the other servants and said, you see, this Hebrew that my 
husband brought in here has attempted uh, to rape me. So she ruined his reputation, and probably there were some of those servants who received that message quickly because they probably were already envious of him uh, because he had been highly favored and granted special privileges by Potiphar, the master of the house and the husband of this woman. So they were probably glad to receive a word against him. So she first ruined his reputation. Secondly, she made him out to be a would-be rapist. Verses 17 and 18, when her husband got home, she accused him to her husband, her husband whom she herself had betrayed. She accuses Joseph to her husband, and for that, Joseph was thrown in prison with the charge of rape. Now, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 31, and I should have told you this. I, the last few studies, I've told you where we're going so you can kind of find those passages. If you can find, right in the middle of your Bible, you'll find the Psalms, and then following the Psalms, you find the book of Proverbs, and we want to look at Proverbs 31. I probably should have saved this for Mother's Day, <laughs> which will be coming up, but I'm going to try to expose you a little bit to it today. While nothing in this world is so dangerous as a wicked woman, nothing can compare to a woman of virtue and a woman of faith. And Solomon draws us a verbal picture of an honorable and God-fearing woman in Proverbs chapter 31 beginning down about verse 10. This woman is a woman of virtue and a woman of faith. Now, we must not forget, and I remind you of this all the time, many times when we read the Scripture or when I hear the Scriptures talk and when I teach it, I have to remind myself that all of the promises of God are limited to those who believe God. And we, not, we don't need to forget that because we, we see a lot of things in the Scripture. For example, Romans 8, 28, whence I often quote, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's wonderful. That's a great promise, but that is only for believers. That's only for those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not for those who are out. The word to those who are outside of Christ is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. To come to Christ, to bow to Christ, to call on Christ, to walk with Christ, that's the word, that's the word of the gospel for those who are outside of Christ. But all of these promises are for those in Christ. And this woman, I'll tell you more about her in a few minutes, but she is a woman of virtue and faith. And it has been said that the revelation of this virtuous woman, as she is called in Proverbs 31, that there are two purposes for this in a practical way. One is to show what kind of young wives young men should choose. What kind of a wife should a young man have? And the second is to show what kind of wives women should strive to be. 
Probably all of you have heard of the seven virtues. They are humility, charity, chastity, gratitude, temperance, which is self-control, patience, and diligence. And all seven of these virtues uh, characterize this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Now, here's here's what Solomon says, and I'm just going to survey it for you. Solomon says of this God-fearing woman that she is, verse 10, she is first a virtuous woman. The King James Version says, who can find a virtuous woman? The, the Hebrew word there means noble, the ideal woman, the woman of moral strength and courage. And the following verses are now going to tell us what that means. He says in verse 10, he says, she is a rare jewel. He says nothing can compare to it. Now, if she is a rare jewel, that means that she's not going to be commonly found. She's a rare jewel. And, uh, you know, when we get to Father's Day, then I'll unload on all of us men. He's a rare, rare righteous men, too. She's a rare jewel, he says. Nothing can compare to her. He says her price is far above rubies. That is, she is of great value. Her value cannot be estimated. Verse 11, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. That means that her husband relies on her. He relies on her prudence and he relies on her skill and he has confidence in her. Verse 12, all she does is for her husband's good. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Verse 13, she's not an idle person. She stays busy. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. And now it is sad to say, but in modern society, I'm sure all of you are aware that they're working real hard today to cut down a work week to a four-day work week. And we already have too much idle time on our hands now. And with the idleness of Americans, you see the increase of wickedness and the increase of rebellion and the increase of all kinds of things. And now it's proudly displayed and illustrated Uh, on uh, television and on the the networks and on the internet and all the rest of it so that these young people who are growing up, that's their view of normalcy. This is the view of normalcy from God's perspective. And we've lost this as a nation. There's still righteous people in this nation. There's still God-fearing women and God-fearing men in this nation, but We have lost it as a nation. We no longer look at the heroes of Scripture and the people of Scripture to be the example to follow. Then as he says in verse 13, she stays busy, she's not out of verse 14. Like a merchant ship, she supplies her family with food. That's the the metaphor there. 
she is like the merchant ship, the, the ship that comes in and has all the goods on it, all the, the food and all the clothes, and people go down to the merchant ships and they unload all of these things, and that's, it's, it's for their families. This is what it says about her. She's like a merchant ship. She supplies her family with food. Then verse 15, a lot of you ladies can relate to this. You know the old saying, a man's work is from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. And that is true. Uh, at least here in this proverb it is, verse 15, it says she rises early to prepare her family and servants for the day. She rises while it is yet night. She gives meat to her household and a portion to her to her. Maiden, She's the one that's running the ship. She's the one that makes sure that everything is in place. She's the one that makes sure that all of the food is prepared and so on. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. That is, she is a diligent and shrewd businesswoman. Verses 17 and 18, she girds her loins with strength. She strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle does not go out by night. What is that saying? It says she's a hard worker. She's strong. She's industrious. She knows the value of things that she makes. And she may even be found working into the night, it says in verse 18. Her candle does not go out by night. Uh, by night. Then it says in verse 19, she lays her hand to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She's not afraid or she's not ashamed of doing any kind of work, including spinning her own thread and weaving her own cloth. Of course, we don't have to do that today. You go down and buy it somewhere at a store. But in these days, I remember when I was a kid living in southwest Georgia, they would take these big cast iron pots and they would uh, put uh, a soap made in it. The soap was made from the lard of, of pigs and they would boil that thing and they'd put those clothes in there and with a stick they would poke it. That was the agitator. The clothes we have today, you throw those in there today, they'd be torn up, <laughs> completely torn up. Well, that was the kind of thing that was going on certainly two to 3,000 years ago. Uh, she's, she's, she's not afraid of work. She's not afraid of any kind of work. She's not ashamed of doing any kind of work. Then verse 20, verse 20, she stretches out her hand to the poor, yea, she receives forth her hand, she reaches forth her hands to the, to the needy. She's charitable. She's generous to the poor and the needy. Verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. That is, her family is well clothed. Even in the winter, she makes sure that they have adequate clothing. Verse 22. She makes herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing is silk and purple. Now, what this says is she was making her own bed coverings. And the materials that she is using and the color of it 
indicates that she is getting the very best for her family. Verse 23, because of her, her husband is well known in the neighborhood. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. He can sit there with much, uh, much pride and thanksgiving to God because of his wife. He couldn't do what he does without her doing what she does. Then verse 24, she makes clothes and belts for sale. She makes fine linen. She sells it. She delivers girdles unto the merchants. So this saying, she's, uh, she, she sews a lot. She's doing a lot of this uh, sewing, a lot of making of her own things for her own home. Verse 25 Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in the time to come. That is, she is strong, she is respected, and because of preparation, she's not afraid of the future. That's verse 25. She shall rejoice in the time to come. Then verse 26, she's a wise woman, and she's a kind woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's always busy, always busy looking after the needs of her family. And then verses 28 and 29, she's greatly appreciated and honored by her husband and her children. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, done well, but thou excellest them all. Greatly appreciated, greatly honored by her family, her children and her husband. And then the basis of her character, her work ethic, her love and her kindness. What is the basis of it? It is her faith in and her heart of obedience to the Lord. That's why she does what she does, like she does it. It says this in verse 30, Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she should be praised. In other words, everything she does, she's doing it as though the Lord himself is standing by her, the Lord himself is looking at it, the Lord himself is saying, well done, you're doing a good job. The Lord himself must approve it. Whatsoever her hand finds to do, she does it with all of her might and as unto the Lord. That's a pretty high beam, isn't it? Finally, Solomon adds a footnote and an inspired comment in verses 30 and 31. Let's read them first. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she should be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, what, what he does, first of all, is he says honor should be exalted over beauty and charm. He says charm can be deceptive, and beauty will finally disappear. But the honor of such a woman will endure. You know what charm is? I looked up the word charm. Some of these words are difficult to define. And this is what I found. Charm is the power or quality 
of giving delight or arousing admiration. That's charm. So he says that charm can be deceptive. He says that beauty will finally fade away. Yesterday on television, we saw a couple. Um, he had uh, passed away. Uh, some of you might remember uh, the rifleman on television. You remember the little boy that played uh, his, his uh, son? Well, he passed away in April of 2021 at the age of 75, and he had Alzheimer's. His wife had, had put him in a facility where they could care for him, and while he was in that facility, uh, he contracted coronavirus and uh, ended up with that and pneumonia. And uh, his, na his name was Crawford, Mark Crawford. You might remember him. Johnny Crawford, I'm sorry. His name was Mark on the rifleman. Johnny Crawford is his name. And he had, uh, he had three songs in the 60s that made the uh, charts. One of them was number eight. I think one was number 12. A really cute guy. And uh, they had a, a service to celebrate his passing later in the year. And people from all over the nation came to that celebration. And the last person who spoke was his wife. And they had been uh, friends, very close friends when they were in school. And then each went their separate ways for 30 years or 40 years. And then Providence brought them back together. He had never been married. And they got married and ended up being married, I think, over 30 years. Well, they showed some of the pictures, you know, of when they were married. And when you go back and look at some of the pictures, it's some of you who've been married a long time. And they were just a beautiful couple. He was a really cute little boy, and he became a handsome young man. By the way, he was the very first, some of you won't remember this, <laughs> but they used to have uh, on black and white television, you had Walt Disney's, you had the Mouseketeers. Okay, well, he was the, one of the, fair, he was the, in the first group of the Mouseketeers. So he's gone back a long, long way. Well, as I looked at those pictures of them when they were married, and then I looked at her as she stood up. She's still a beautiful woman. But she doesn't look anything like she did when they got married. Beauty fades. That's what Solomon said. He says beauty can fade, charm can be deceptive, but honor, that honor, will endure. Then he says that this woman, of Proverbs 31, has written her own best eulogy. You usually hear eulogies at funerals. It comes from a word that means to say a good word about. So the eulogy, when you eulogize someone, you say a good word about them. That word is used in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That word translated blessed is the word for eulogy. So he says, God has said a good word about us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us say a good word about him. So here, the, the, the writer, Solomon, in this postscript, in this final note, this comment, he says that she has written her own best eulogy. He says that the life she has lived and the work that she has done and is doing testifies of really what she is and who she is. 
And that's the summary of that verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands. She's earned it. Let her own works praise her in the gates. She may not be recognized by the world. She may not be in the news. She may not be on television or in the movies. But the Lord of heaven and earth has his eye and his blessing on her. My dear ladies, I know this is a different world today, and I know that there are many things you don't do today that the woman in Solomon's day did. As I mentioned earlier, you don't have to make your clothes anymore. Some of you might still sew, but you can go and buy them. But don't miss the major lesson here. The major lesson is this. The secret to being a godly woman is to do what you do as unto the Lord. The secret is believing on the Lord, believing in the Lord, walking with the Lord, and living your life for the Lord and for His glory. This woman loves the Lord and her strong qualities, her ethics, her work habits show what she is. Now today, sadly, in 2022, many women in this nation have fallen and are falling by the wayside. Today, many young women no longer marry, yet they give themselves to a man to whom they are not married and even with whom they have children, and they're proud of it. They come on television, they say so-and-so and so-and-so has now had another child, and they're not married, they're not going to get married, they're not thinking about getting married. And today, more and more women seem to be shameless. Today, women who dress like harlots are admired and applauded, and modesty is ridiculed. You are a Neanderthalian if you don't dress like the world's crowd. But in the midst of all this chaos, in all of this confusion, I want you to remember this one thing. Remember this. And that is this. The person that you should, the person you should strive to please is the Lord and not the world. Now keep, you have to keep that in mind. That's the person you should strive to please is the Lord and not the world. Many of us have addictions, and here's the addiction we have. The addiction is we're worried about what everyone else thinks. And you don't have to worry about what everyone else thinks. You just worry about one thing. What does the Lord want you to do? What does the Lord want you to do? Years ago, uh, my wife and I were talking about some people who were having some problems, and I said to this, I said, there are only two people that she has to please. Somebody had said something to a woman that was critical of her, and I said, there are only two people she has to please. And I said, one is her husband, and the other one's the Lord. And I think if you've got a husband that knows anything about the Lord, if you're trying to please the Lord, he'll recognize that, and he'll be happy too. <laughs> he'll be happy too. Walk with him, depend on him, trust him, and he will give you the wisdom, he will give you the strength to be 
a godly woman in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, Peter, and I don't want these guys to put this on the board because I'm reading from a different translation that might confuse you. But Peter has a word for us regarding godly and virtuous women. He speaks about Christ setting the example of submission to the will of the Father, and then he replies that to Christian women. And this is what he says. He says, and this is 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. He said, In the same way you wives must submit yourselves to your husband, so that if any of them, any of your husbands, do not believe God's word, they may without the word be won over by your conduct. It will not be necessary for you to say a word because they will see how pure and reverent your conduct is. Make yourself beautiful, not just with outward aids, such as the way you fix your hair or the jewelry you put on or the dresses you wear, but also instead your beauty should consist of your true inner self, the ageless beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in the sight of God is of great price. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Now, this is the woman who fears the Lord, the woman who names the name of Christ. So I've tried to lift up the women by looking at this Proverbs 31 women, but now we're going to have to look at the woman like that woman that we read about in Genesis 39. The woman of, of Genesis 39, that woman is a sister to the wicked woman of Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7 sets forth for us a woman who is unfaithful to everything and to everyone. She's unfaithful to her husband. She is unthankful for her children, and she does not care for the Lord. But get this, she's a religious woman. Let me read it for you, and this is a little shocking now, so I hope you have your seatbelts on. This is the Word of God. This is Proverbs chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Years ago, when my wife's mother was living with us, she was with us for about 13, 14 years, very easy to take care of, had a great spirit and attitude. Uh, we enjoyed her so very much. And uh, she, she uh, all the grandchildren called her Gigi, which is what our grandchildren now call Lynn, my wife, they call her Gigi. Her name is Grace. And so uh, often uh, after oh, she was 84 years old, she began having some little mini strokes. And she was very small, so I could pick her up easily. And uh, she didn't re ever really want to use a wheelchair, but finally she submitted to it. So I would, I would uh, take her sometimes, pick her up, and take her, take her, put her in the bed. And so one night when I was putting her in the bed, I said to her, now, Gigi, look. I said, if you need anything at all tonight, if anything happens or you hear something or you want something, you need anything, I said, don't call me. Well, of course, she cackled and laughed because she knew that was a joke and she knew she could call me and I would be there just as soon as I could get there. She was a sweet, a sweet lady, and we enjoyed having her for a while with us. Well, she once told me when I was reading the Scripture to her, she said, you know, the Bible is an X-rated book, isn't it? I said, it certainly is. It tells it exactly like it is. It doesn't mince words. 
So here's what we have. Now listen to this translation from the English translation. You can follow along in your Bible if you want to. Proverbs chapter 7. I'll give you a minute if you want to. You're already in Proverbs 31. So it's Proverbs chapter 7. And it's going to be beginning in about verse 11. Proverbs chapter 7. And we'll begin reading in about verse 11. Now here's, here's the picture. Here's a young man. And he's idle. Uh, he's just looking for something to do. And he's wandering through the streets, and he probably knows where he is. And he wanders near the house of this woman. And uh, when he does, uh, she runs out and approaches him. Approaches this man. I say young man. He may not have been a young man. Maybe he's a middle-aged man. Maybe he's an older man. But he's passing near her home. And I think he's a young man, and this is what it says in the English version. It says, she was a bold and shameless woman. And she threw her arms around him, and she kissed him, and she looked him straight in the eye, and she said, I have peace offerings with me today. Now, peace offerings meant when you went down to the priest, and you made this peace offering... Uh, the priest would take some of the meat and he would give you back some of the meat. And that was a proof that you'd made your peace offerings and you could have that meat at home to eat. So she said, I've been down to the temple and to worship and I have peace offerings with me and this day I have paid my vows. And look how she lies now. I came out looking for you. I wanted to find you and here you are. I've covered my bed with sheets of colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed it with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come on, let's make love all night long. We'll be happy in each other's arms. My husband isn't at home. He's on a long trip. He won't be back for two weeks. So she tempted him with her charms, and he gave in to her smooth talk, and suddenly he was going with her like an ox on the way to be slaughtered, like a deer prancing into a trap where an arrow would pierce its heart. He was like a bird going into a net, not knowing that it was for its life. What a description. You will notice that in spite, as I've already pointed out, in spite of the obvious fact that everyone knows what she really is, she is a religious woman. And again, I'm going to quote Matthew Henry. Here's what he says. He says, quote, She had been today at the temple and was as well respected there as anyone that worshipped in the courts of the Lord. She had paid her vows, and as she thought, made everything even with God Almighty. And therefore, she might venture upon a new score of sins. The idea that we go down and we confess our sins to the Lord, and that takes care of everything back there, and now we can go out and heap up some more that we can confess, that is an abominable teaching. That is a bad, bad teaching. That is uh, something that has been the ruin of many young men and many young women. So in spite of all that she did with her life, she was a religious woman. But she had only external religion. She had nothing in her heart and nothing in her soul. And external religion will do one thing very well. It will harden the heart 
of men and women in their sins, and it will make them more bold to go further with it. And this is so sad. This is so pitiful. Now, who's behind all of this? Well, I've taught you that the reason so many people are deceived, just like the wife of Potiphar, the reason they won't call on the Lord, the reason they won't listen to nor obey anything that the Lord says is because of the slanderer, the one we call the devil and Satan. He is behind it. I've taught you this over the years. He was behind the lies of the wife of Potiphar. Who's the original liar? Jesus Christ said Satan is. John chapter 8, verse 44, he said to the devil, or to the Jews, the Jews leaders who were saying that he was of the devil, he said, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it out of his own soul, out of, his, out of himself. The, the original liar is Lucifer, who became the devil, and Satan. Many people do not realize that on planet Earth, we are involved in an angelic conflict. There was a problem here before God ever made man. And we read about it when Satan tempted the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said unto him, All of these will I give you, for they have been delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give them. That's because there was an angelic conflict before God made man. And when man came into this world, this fallen being, Lucifer, whom we call the devil and Satan, and I've taught you what those terms mean, diabolos and uh, the slander, the enemy, he, he uses lies, and he's done that from the very beginning, and he does that with Potiphar's wife. Now, Joseph was the godliest man in Egypt, and this is why the devil came after him, using the greatest temptation imaginable, a beautiful, rich, and powerful woman. And he's been using this modus operandi, mode of operation. He's been using that since the Garden of Eden. Let me ask you this. Who did he work through to get to Adam? Well, he worked through his wife. He worked through Eve. Who did the devil employ to try to destroy the prophet Elijah, who was the only preacher in Israel who rebuked the wickedness of the king and the people for following the false worship? Remember, Elijah had 450 prophets of Baal Put to death. You can read about that over in 1 Kings, about chapter 9. Who did he use? He used Jezebel, who was the wife of King Ahab. Who did he use to utterly destroy the strongest man who's ever lived, Samson? He used a woman, a wicked woman named Delilah. Now, my friends, all of the history of the human race... And the divine purpose of God is represented by two women. One is pictured as, this is an unpleasant word, but this is the word that the Bible uses. One is pictured as a whore, and the other one is pictured as a virgin, as the bride of Christ. And one of these two spiritual women is the mother 
the spiritual mother of every human being on the face of the earth. We're either in the bride of Christ or we're not. And if we're not in the bride of Christ, then we're part of this great mystery Babylon, pictured by a, a wicked woman. We have two mothers, all of us. We have the mother that gave us birth into this world, and we have the spiritual mother who has birthed us, as it were, into the kingdom of the Lord. Now turn to the book of Revelation. I'm going to be through here in just a moment. Book of Revelation, chapter 17. The word, by the way, the word that is translated whore in the New Testament, Corne Greek, Corne means common, the common Greek, is the word porne. Now, what do you hear in that? You hear pornography, pornographic, that's the word. It's the word porne. And, and this word is given some strong definitions. One is it applies to a, a, a prostitute a harlot, one who yields herself to defilement for the sake of gain, and the other one it just implies to a woman who has unlawful sexual intimacies uh, with men. In other words, she's not married, uh, she's not intended to get married, all of that. Revelation chapter 17, here's what's going to happen to the great, the great whore. Revelation chapter 17 Verse 15, he said, The waters whence thou sawest, where the great whore sits, are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now, I'll let you look at the context. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. So that is the future of this great uh, corrupt spiritual system called the great whore. We heard a man this morning who gave some good advice as we were coming to worship. He said, when the devil comes to you and tries to tempt you to do wrong because you've made some mistakes, you've sinned, you've fallen, and now you've got guilt on you, and what does the Scripture say to do? The Scripture says, go back to the Lord, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and confess your sins. Acknowledge them really is what the word is. Acknowledge I have sinned. And it says that he is faithful and he is just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now you should learn that passage. No matter what we've done, no matter how far out we've gone, Solomon said it like this. He said, there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. In other words, we've all sinned. <laughs> we've all fallen short. And even after we've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have sinned. We have fallen short. 
So what are we to do? We're to go back to him. We're to go back to him and acknowledge it. And it says that it is a matter of justice that he will forgive us because Christ died for us. He paid the penalty and God would be unjust if he didn't forgive us. And secondly, as a matter of faithfulness, the Lord our God is faithful. And he says he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what you do. And so this man said when, when we sinned and the devil says, Ah, nah, he's been forgiven you. He's been forgiven you, but he's not going to do it this time. And he said when the devil reminds you of your guilt, he said you remind him of his future. I thought that was pretty good. You remind him of his future. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was sitting in his study, writing, and he said he saw the devil as real as could be, saying, Ah, oh, Martin Luther, the world thinks you're a great man. Oh, they have applause for you, but we know who you are, don't we, Martin? We know who you really are. And Martin Luther said the devil was so real, he picked up the inkwell, a little bottle filled with ink, and he threw it at him, and it crashed against the wall, and he said, yes, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. <laughs> from all sin. My friends, even if you sinned, the blood of Christ is sufficient to cleanse you, and the really, it's in a continuous sense to keep on cleansing you from all unrighteousness. All right. Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, we're almost through here this morning. Here's the bride, that was the great whore, this is the bride, Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven, the first earth were passed away, there was no more sea, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the new Jerusalem now is pictured as the bride of Christ. Not the Jerusalem that's over in Israel. The new Jerusalem comes down. Paul says in the book of Galatians that this, this new Jerusalem is the mother of us, us who believe, we who believe, is the, she is the mother of us all. Now go down to verse 9. Verse 9, Revelation 21, verse 9. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. See that? All right, look at verse 27. We're skipping around a little bit. Verse 27. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's read another verse or two here. He says in verse 11 that they had the glory of God in this new Jerusalem, and their light was like a, a, a lamp, like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, as clear as crystal. It had a wall, great high, that speaks of protection. Nothing can get in there to harm them. They had 12 gates, many, many ways that people have come to Christ. And they had 12 angels, the 12 messengers from God. And they had the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And he goes through all of these gates. He talks about the size of the city. And that's all spiritual language. Then he says, and verse 22. 
verse 22, I saw no temple in heaven. There'll be no temple there. The temple worship will all be over. It's all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And the city had no need of the sun, nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light of it. You see, everything is about Christ. Everything. And he says in verse 25, The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, because there will be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Verse 27, And there shall no wise enter into it anything that defiles whatsoever works an abomination, makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now let me close out this study by saying this to you. You take a woman like Mary, who is the mother of our Lord, she is representative of the woman who fears the Lord. And this wife of Potiphar, she's representative of women who do not fear the Lord. And here's where I would sum this up for you. Number one, you can't pet the devil. You cannot pet the devil. What does I mean by that? You cannot play around with sin. You can't play with things that will damn you and will bring dishonor to our Lord. Because if it's the devil's lure and it's his spiritual fishing device and it'll catch you with its hook and it'll lure you into its net and it will infect you with its virus. And the end of it will be total separation from the Lord. So how can we say we love the Lord when we love what put him on the cross? What put him on the cross is sin. And we have to fight with it every day. We have to wrestle with it every day. Let me tell you this. You've got a nature, even those of you who belong to Christ, you still have that old nature. You've been born again. And you can never not be the Lord's child, but you have an old nature that's always battling with you. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, I don't do what I want to do. What I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And if I do these things, then I have, I've come up with this. Sin still dwells in me. I've already told you there's an angelic conflict in this world, and it began before man was created, and it continues to this day. And every human being is on one side or the other. And I believe that the Lord is willing and I believe the Lord is able to receive and to save all who truly believe on him. Even wicked, rebellious, and wicked, rebellious women and wicked and rebellious men. You know how I know that? Look at who's in the bride of Christ. Consider the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Remember her? The Lord said, go call your husband. She said, I'd sure like to have some of this water you're talking about where I won't have to come out of this well anymore. He said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, you don't have a husband. He said, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. But what did he do with her? He saved her. He gave her the water of life. What about Mary Magdalene? Who was she? She was a woman out of whom he cast seven demons. And she ended up being on the inside of the Lord's group of people who followed him everywhere. 
His blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all of our sin. But we must come to him. Don't try to hide in the church. Don't try to hide in your family. Don't try to hide in your good life and your good works. Hide in Christ. Hide in Christ. So I would sum this up. I would close this out by saying, number one, you can't pet the devil. Number two, I would say follow the example of Joseph. Pray for the strength to be like Joseph was. He wouldn't have anything to do with Miss Potiphar. Genesis 39, 7 says he wouldn't listen to her. He began to avoid her. Genesis 39, 8 and 9 said he refused her and he gave her his testimony. Genesis 39, 9 said he saw what she wanted as sin and great wickedness. Genesis 39, 10 said he refused to be alone with her. And Genesis 39, 12 said he ran from her. <laughs> oh, I tell you, my, my dear friends, what, what a man Joseph was. Oh, that we men could be like Joseph. Ladies, I want you to know we appreciate you. You wouldn't be here today if you weren't interested in hearing something from God's Word. We're praying for you because I'll tell you this, and I think most men would, would agree with me. If the women go down, the whole nation goes down. That's right. If the women go down, the whole nation. Men may be stronger physically, but they're not emotionally. They're not psychologically. They're going to do what their girlfriend, their wife, their confidant wants to do. That's what they're going to do. And they'll turn hell over to get it done. Am I right? Yes, sir. I know I'm right. I've been married for 57 years. 